Good afternoon. My name is Jose, and I will be your conference operator today. Welcome to Cozen O'Connor Public Strategy Series about the latest developments in politics and policy in D.C. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Our speakers are Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner, and Kevin Washoe, a member of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. This recording will also be available on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Cozen O'Connor. For any questions, please email presidentialanalysis at cozen.com. Thanks, everybody, and uh, thanks for joining us. My name is Blake Rutherford, and um, I'm joined by Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and a new addition to our calls, uh, Kevin Washoe, who joined uh, our group not long ago uh, after serving uh, admirably as the um, executive director of the host committee for the Democratic National Convention here in Philadelphia. So, Howard, Kevin, welcome. Thanks, Thanks. Blake. Thank you. Um, boy, uh, we got more to talk about than we're going to have time to talk about today. But let's let's turn back just a little bit to what, to me, feels like a very long time ago and yet was only four days ago, five days ago, which was the inauguration of President Donald J. Trump and the speech that followed. We had previewed that speech in a call um, uh, the week before, and I think our collective preview was, in my estimation, just a little bit off. Um, Trump was less of this, well, I'll say it this way, and then I'll get your perspective. This was not a grand speech. This was a base political speech. And in the context of inaugural addresses, we haven't really seen something like that before. So let's start there, because Trump came into office with the lowest approval ratings in American history since we started polling uh, President-elect. He has an approval rating under 50%. Before the inaugural speech, he had an approval rating under 40%. Uh, he's at about 45, according to Gallup, uh, although that's changing by the minute. Uh, Howard, I want to start with you. Um, a lot was made of the speech. Um, what did you think? Um, did it... Did it accomplish um, anything for the president, and does it really matter? I, I think it does matter in the sense that um, rhetoric from the president of the United States means something. It means something to people. It sets the the, the tone and the mood of the country, and um, I personally think it was a, a lost opportunity. But... Um, you know, on the flip side, he spent a lot of time on things like infrastructure, which are not necessarily uh, Republican priorities um, in the traditional sense. So, I mean, from, from a policy point of view, I think it wasn't as divisive as people are making it seem. From a, a rhetorical point of view, it was it was not a uniting kind of speech. And I think, you know, I do think it matters. I said on our last call, it'll set the tone for the next four years, and he set the tone for the next four years. And it, uh, boy, it's going to be it's going to be a slugfest if that's right, uh, because Kevin, as we saw, not um, not moments after that, um, but within 24 hours, uh, massive uh, protests in response to uh, President Trump's inauguration. Um, half a million people in Washington. Half a million people in Chicago, 300,000 in Boston. We can go on and on and on. 5,000 in Little Rock, Arkansas. 
um, more people showed up in Montpelier, Vermont to protest than live in Montpelier, Vermont. Um, we've never seen anything like that. And I thought it might be helpful to contrast, first, I want to get your reaction to the speech, and then to contrast that that 24-hour period, because symbolically, it says something, and it is clearly under the president's skin. Yeah, absolutely. I think Howard is right. You know, clearly a missed opportunity. And I think, you know, when you grow up as a kid, you're in high school, or even, even when you're an adult, you see a presidential address, and you think of John Kennedy's speech, Ronald Reagan, and it's, and it's an opportunity for the president kind of to address the tone and, and, and the mood of uniting the country. And you didn't have that. And I think um, there's very few opportunities, even for a president, uh, to kind of change the narrative on what's been building up over the last, you know, few years. And I think he had a clear one there. And I think, to your point, um, if you look at just, you know, 24 hours later, it couldn't be more of a difference. I mean, all over the country, um, all over the world, all over the world, really, you know, millions of people were marching. And I think, you know, for, for the president, and I'm, I'm surprised if, if people aren't giving him this advice, you know, if, if he gave a little bit more, you would think maybe the narrative and the tone could be tampered down a little bit. Because I think in the end, he's a pragmatic, you would think he's a pragmatic guy being a businessman. He's going to want to see results. And I think it's going to be hard with this tone to get anything done. But um, it just really shows you and how divided this country is on, on party li lines and ideological lines and um, when's it going to end? And that's um, that's something that only the leaders are going to be able to answer, I think. And perhaps not, not anytime soon, but in terms of getting, thing done, getting things done, Howard, we are seeing action from this president, not unexpected um, in the context of executive orders. But, mm -hmm. you know, so far today, we've seen an, ex uh, an executive order, albeit a little bit of an ambiguous, ambiguous one on the Affordable Care Act. Um, we've seen um, an executive order pulling out of TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, but authorizing the Keystone Pipeline and Dakota Access. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen a hiring freeze, put in federal hiring freeze, um, a regulatory freeze, which you've been talking about for months, would, would come down the pipe. And then, and then to social conservatives, reinstituting what's known as the global gag rule, which is not uh, supporting international organizations who, who um, fund abortions. Um, so that's where we are as of literally this call. By, by this afternoon, we may, we may see even more uh, but Howard, I thought you might you might in context sort of characterize what you make of of those early actions, certainly playing to his core constituency to a degree, which his speech did. But what do you think about that? And what do you make of what is a you know, for example, what does a federal hiring freeze really mean yeah. in the context of what's what's happening? I mean, again, you got to think about um, this the way you think about any new administration on some level. And I think one general comment I have is that people are over-reading and over-interpreting the early days of this administration. So while the rhetoric so far, um, the rhetoric around the march wasn't great, and I, I'd like to go back to that mm -hmm. if I could for sure. a second, but um, the, the switch from campaigning to governing is a challenge for any administration. I've seen it time and time again. And that's true for this administration as well. Um, you know, I think in, in many ways, I see the, the response to the march and the issuance of these various memoranda and executive orders um, in that context, in the same context, in that campaigning to governing um, pivot that's it was really hard for Barack Obama's crowd eight years ago. I was there.
really hard um, for George W. Bush's group. I was there. Um, so it's, it's hard to do, and it's hard for these guys to do. The, uh, you know, in my mind, the march, the response, the, the nonsensical response to the march was a campaign play. It was what we've seen throughout the campaign, which is a distraction. Sean Spicer didn't go out to the podium and say what he said because they really believed it. Obviously, they know the truth. It was about creating another narrative. It was about creating a controversy so that the next day people would be talking about the controversy as opposed to talking about the march. That's my view. It's a, that's my strong view. You know, everybody or a lot of people have seen the Chuck Todd Kelly Conway interview mm-hmm. um, where we talked, where, where, you know, the alternative facts thing came up. Right. Um, guess what he didn't talk about in those 10 minutes? They didn't talk about the march. Really, they talked about alternative facts. That's what these guys wanted. That's the play they ran throughout the campaign. And they ran it again on Saturday. And similarly, I think, you know, the, the, the series of things to your question, finally get to your question, Blake, the series of um, orders and, and memoranda that have been issued are in the same vein. You know, they're fulfilling campaign promises, so to speak. Everybody knew that EP order was coming. Everybody knew the Dakota mm-hmm. and Keystone um, order was coming. Um, the hiring freeze was coming. The regulatory freeze was coming. Again, if you actually go and read the memoranda as opposed to reading the headlines, right? Um, the devil's in the details. The hiring freeze, yes, there's a hiring freeze. The director of the Office of Personnel Management can issue a waiver from the hiring freeze. Um, OMB, the Office of Management Budget, has to issue um, a plan within 90 days on, you know, shrinking the federal government through attrition. And slowly this all comes off. And what happens in Washington, and it happens every single time, and it's going to happen here too, is the heads of these agencies get in their jobs, they start to realize what they need, and they push back on the White House and they get what they want. Yes, government is going to be smaller under this administration, but it's going to work. I think don't make the mistake of thinking that it's not going to revert to some of the traditional laws of nature that we see in, in D.C. This is we are in the midst of a shift that's going to be harder for these guys than it is for others from campaign mode to governing, and that's the way to look at this administration. Well, and I think, uh, I think too, you, you put out today, and, and hopefully everybody on this call has seen it, but if not, we'll, we'll be sure to get it to you, sort of tips for how to engage with this administration and, and, and what it really looks like. And I think in, in, in some ways, you've, you've thrown conventional wisdom in terms of, and I mean that as a compliment, obviously, um, of, you know, for how people look at Trump, you know, and I've I think that 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 this is, and and you conclude in in among your list, you know, that this is this is more of a motion picture than a than a portrait. Meant meant clearly to articulate that um, this is unlike anything we've ever seen, which mm-hmm. certainly requires um, a different way of thinking. So I hope uh, I hope everyone will will check that out, and and certainly uh, we can we can talk more about it. But Kevin, I I want to I want to follow up on on something you know Howard says which is that this administration is is very much in campaign mode still 
um, they're employing tactics that 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 they use during the campaign. And 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 while it may be may be right that it's difficult for every administration to get out of campaign mode, one of the things we may see from this president, because there has been such an obsession with what I would call the optics, um, the it started with losing three million votes, and he goes to members of Congress and tells another lie about mm -hmm. illegal immigrants being the reason why he fell three million votes shy, which we absolutely know is not true. Uh, but he said it again to members of Congress. Yeah. Um, then we saw Sean Spicer coming out and blatantly lying to the press. Um, and Trump has had some trouble with the truth uh, during the course of this campaign. Uh, we're hearing stories that uh, there's already lots of infighting among this White House, that one of the things that Trump was really disappointed about with Spicer was, was that his suit didn't fit. And if you noticed him yesterday, he was in a darker tailored suit. That was, a, that, according to the Washington Post, that was yeah. one of the big issues. Um, do you sense that that Trump, having watched him, we've been able to study him as a candidate for almost two years. Um, do you think he really I mean, Howard has said this many times. You wait for the pivot. Mark said it. You wait for the pivot. The pivot never comes. Yeah. We're not seeing it in we're, we're not seeing it yet. I think it's hard. I mean, listen, you know, one of the things that I had a chance to do is, you know, I read his book, Art of the Deal, way back in May of 2016, just to kind of, you know, think a little insight and just to. You see what he's about. I think it's going to be hard. And you mentioned optics. I mean, everyone has the, the visual of him coming down the escalator at Trump Tower. Well, he just tweeted out 20 minutes ago uh, the cutaway shot of the of the of the crowd size uh, at his inauguration. So clearly, he's still obsessed with that, and it's hard to move on. And I think you know presidents need to learn how to move on and and, <laughs> and make some decisions and, and put the past behind them. I think uh, as a person, this is something that he's not able to do very well. And I think to, to Howard's point, clearly uh, the the Spicer issue was to get off message and, and Kellyanne Conway, and no one's really talking about the marches. And and I just think it's going to be like moving a boulder with him trying to pivot. And I think he's going to have a real tough time when it's not an executive order with by the signing of a pen. You want you want an infrastructure bill. Well, what are you going to do to get that infra infrastructure bill passed? How are you going to work with Democrats across the aisle, by or Republicans for that matter, who may not want to spend the type of money that right. the president wants to spend? But I thought it was interesting. We talk about campaign mode, and, and clearly we're, we're only within the first week. But you know, when he when he uh, was talking about TPP the other day, you know, in the morning he had business executives and CEOs come to the White House. Then, <laughs> within the span of two hours, he had pretty much not all the heads, but a, a good chunk of the heads of all the presidents of organized labor come to the come to the White House, and, and, and obviously they were thrilled about it. But you think about it, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, sure, playing to the campaign, and I thought it was a pretty shrewd move, and. You know, and we all knew it was coming, but he's, you know, he's going to, I think he's going to be shrewd about some of the stuff. There's just to yeah, Howard. piggyback on that. There's a, there's a battle going on. There is a battle going mm -hmm. on. There's infighting, by the way, infighting in quotes is healthy. Mm -hmm. Like there needs to be disagreement. That's how the best decisions get made. The best decisions that I was a party to in government um, took place amidst disagreement. And then at the end of the day, the principal has to make the call. Um, Trump being the principal, um, at least for purposes of some issues, has, is going to have to make calls. And people, I'm sure, have strong views of that, uh, you know, both sides, but um, positive and negative. But um, disagreement is, is healthy. Now, there is, all you have to do is look at his Twitter feed, which I'm doing through my What the Trump. Um, at What the Trump. At yeah. What the Trump. 
um, Twitter handle. But so back on the um, the women's marches. Yep. Um, first, there was a tweet from him about the marches and the, don't these people realize that there was an election? Shortly thereafter, there was a tweet about the peaceful demonstration and the importance of that to our democracy. Clearly, the first one was written by him, and clearly the second one was crafted by other people in the White House. If you want to focus on what, where the disagreement lies, look at that. Because mm -hmm. whoever wins that battle at the end of the day, right, is that's going to chart the course for this administration. Well, and it's interesting because you're, we're, we are seeing seeing some of this play. I mean, we saw with the inaugural speech where it was. It was really sort of, you know, the Bannon faction driven. Looks like he was the primary author of, of that speech, along with Trump's longtime speechwriter. And then you saw you saw the Spicer thing and 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 that that press conference where it was very clear that Trump in, in, was was based on all the news reports really the the largest instigator, and that there were many of these factions in the White House saying don't you know don't do this. Um, and then to Howard's point about uh, you know about tweets in the march and now, you know, again the the, the president um, the president being very much focused on on crowd size. He was focused on crowd size when he spoke in front of the wall at the CIA. Um, and um and 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 again today. So I wonder um you know whether um we will see and I'm interested in both of your perspectives on this, whether we will see in the in the days ahead, a, a calming effect, or um, in light of in light of the fact, and one of the things that Howard you've talked about over the course of of you know the last several months, and and have written about this. Look, there is a White House press corps now, and they are relentless. Um, and I think Sean Spicer in his in his press conference yesterday uh, says the you know pointing out the crowd size was demoralizing. That that. They think he said demoralizing three times, but the the White House press corps is you know is an aggressive entity, um, and they're going to be on the president just as they were they were on um, have been on every president. Um, what do you what do you sense? I mean, I want to go back to this calming effect. Do you sense things calm down? Or are we in for four years of kind of hold on tight? We're definitely in for six months of hold on tight. Yeah. Because, again, I think this shift is really hard, and it's even harder for a bunch of people that have never been in government before, of which there are many in this administration, from the top on on down through the cabinet. Um, you know, I think eventually the laws of nature take over. They have to get some stuff done. Um, and and I think things do, do begin to calm down. Um, but but it's going to be rocky at the beginning, and this guy attracts the president, attracts attention like nobody else we've ever seen before, and that's going to continue. Mm -hmm. And it's 24-7, 365, um, and it's bigger than anything we've seen before because although it's the White House, although it's the president, although he's the leader of the free world, this is Donald Trump, and it's just different. And I want to come back to 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 that different because I really want to want to talk about how you engage. Um, we've all been kind of writing and speaking about what this means, and I want to come back to yeah. the piece that you put out yep. today, Howard. But before we do that, Kevin, the president's coming to Philly yeah. um, this week. Um, he's going to speak to a retreat of House and Senate Republicans who are going to be thinking about 
their agenda and figuring out. He's already been briefed by the president's already been briefed by the speaker um, about what about the calendar and and beginning the priority setting and the coordination um, of agendas. Um, just wanted to wanted to get your thoughts about that. Peyton Manning is also speaking at, at that event. I know I'm big of a fan. Howard is of Peyton Manning, so um, I'm a bigger fan of his brother. Yeah, right. And uh, and so, um, but but the president is coming to is coming to Philadelphia, yep. um, a city that uh, and granted he's coming because of another meeting, but a city he did not win in a state that he didn't win, yep. but performed better than yep. than Democrats. You had a front row seat to all of that. Just yep. wanted to. Wanted to get some perspective on what you think that means for the city. Yeah, listen. I think any time a president comes to the city, it's uh, you know it's it's good that obviously I think first for the city, it's it's great that we're hosting the Republican conference. Uh, Howard and I, we were talking about this last year. We hosted the Democratic conference. Uh, I think it was in about a year before the convention. So you know, just from a civic standpoint, it's good when we could have thought leaders and 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 government leaders come to Philly and experience our great city. But listen, I think it's fantastic that he's going to be here representing. Uh, uh, his party, and I think it was good politics for him to go. And hopefully, I'm actually curious to see what his tone is in front of the conference, because clearly, there's a lot of people in that conference that do not agree with him on a, a vast range of things, whether it be temperament, whether it be policy, the, the whole shebang. So I'll be curious to see, can he temper his tone um, in front of this group? Because I think if he can't do it in front of this group, he's going to have real trouble tempering in front of any other group. So I think it's going to be an interesting push or pull. But um, I think by, by every stretch, uh, you know, we were talking about before, um, I think, you know, you talk to any big city mayor or, you know, or small city mayor in the country, you talk to any governor that's had to come and, and switch from campaign mode to governing. I mean, it is a slog. And to think about everything that he has to do to kind of pivot now, White House press corps, bureaucracy, a party that's probably fractured on his own side, trying to figure out how to deal with their own president, uh, the Democrats and progressives that are entrenched. I don't want to say it's insurmountable, but I can't think of a, a case study where someone had so much going against him this early on in a presidency where it's going to take a vast political test of skill to, to get done. So it's just going to be just a fascinating from an academic standpoint. Can someone pivot and move the country in a direction where everyone's uh, toned down a little bit? I don't know. By the way, just on the press, I think the press has got to grow up, too. And look, Chuck Todd was tough in his interview of Kellyanne, but he took the bait. He was complicit because guess what? It's actually good for ratings. If there's controversy, he was complicit in making that interview all about the controversy as opposed to the thing that they created the controversy to distract from. So. Part of this is on the press, the White House press corps, and the press at large, uh, not to take the bait, to keep their eyes focused on what the um, administration is trying to distract attention from. And by the way, this isn't the first administration to put something out to try to distract or take attention away from something else that's going on in the world. Um, that uh, they've done that time and time again, and the press has the press has an incredible incredibly, I think, a more valuable role to play right now than we've ever seen. Mm -hmm. They've got to do it right. Yeah. And I, to, just to piggyback on that, I was watching the some of the clips from CNN following the Spicer presser, and, and I listened to every bit of it because it, it, was, it was actually fascinating. But uh, I don't know if it was David Greger. Somebody from CNN made a point. Because this administration is just changing even the way the, 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 the press briefings are. Usually the AP gets the first question. Well, the AP didn't get the first question this time. It was the New York Post. And then all of a sudden, CNN didn't get a question until the, to the very end. 
And I don't think the New York Times even got a question. So, listen, it it was tradition, but he's going to do things differently. Uh, and clearly the, they have some vendettas and some hard uh, hard luck. So I think to, to Howard's point, the press are going to have to get a thicker skin and kind of buck up a little bit and realize, you know, they have a they have a duty to the country to kind of, yep. you know, be a little bit more, um, you know, tough. But they, they need to not be so sensitive, I think. But even then, they're, they were coming in, who's getting the first question? Now, do the American people really care who gets the first question? Absolutely not. But, again, the media is creating this firestorm. Well, New York Post got the first question and not, you know, CNN or Fox. So I, I just it's 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 crazy. I mean, I I think they gotta they gotta they gotta step it up a little bit. Well, and in, in in the context of doing things differently, you have to engage differently with yep. this administration than than with others. And and I want to go back to something that we talked a little bit about at the beginning, but piece you put out today um, uh, about about ways to uh, ways to engage with this with this administration. Um, Eleven rules, I think you you yep. have. Yep. Um, I thought I might just um, just kind of turn it over to you to talk about highlights. What are the what are the things that, that people really need to be thinking about as they try to engage with this administration? Yeah, let's talk through them. I mean, number one is you really have to listen carefully. And Kevin and Blake jump in on this. You got to listen carefully to Trump's message. And look, he's the president of the United States. He is the dominant force in Washington. He's not the only force in Washington. He's not even the only force within the Republican Party, um, but um, he's the dominant force. And you've got to listen very carefully to the themes and the messages he's putting out. And whatever your cause is, um, try to try where you can. And you're not going to be able to do it all the time. But try to wrap your message in the context. Try to wrap your cause in the context of his messages. Um, Point number two, uh, understand the process and procedure around your issue, around what you're trying to do, because um, process, even though Trump is very transactional and um, just a different kind of a, of a guy than, than we're used to in, in the presidency, um, process still matters a lot in Washington, policy, politics, and process. And other people know the process a lot better than um, the president does and his team does. And that process can really be, can really be your ally. Um, don't expect, and, and Kevin, you've seen this and Blake, you've seen it. Don't expect miracles from, and don't overread the first people into the agencies and even the first people into the white house, there's going to be turnover and the quote unquote beachhead teams that, um, deployed to the agencies at 12.01 p.m. on uh, the 20th. Yeah, they're important for now. Um, they're junior folks. They're, they tend to be campaign folks. This is true in any administration. Um, they get deployed into the agencies, but then the secretaries come in, and the political people in the agencies become less important over time. The substance of the agencies takes over. So don't get... Um, too invested or again overread the importance of the people that are that are first in. Um, you know, a lot of people have concerns about the administration from the perspective of unpredictability, um, but there are points of stability in the administration. Think about someone like Elaine Chao at Transportation. Right. She has been in government. She is married to the majority leader of the United States Senate. Um, she 
is a point of stability in this, in this administration. General Mattis at DOD is a point of stability in this administration. Um, General Kelly at Homeland Security, a point of stability in this administration. So, um, you know, a Wilbur Ross at Commerce, the government, obviously a force as a business person, obviously somebody who can pick up the phone and call the president, um, but um, not as much of a point of stability if you're looking for calming influences inside inside the cabinet. Um, you know, also don't forget about the bureaucracy. And um, guys, jump in on this. Yeah. I mean, the bureaucracy is always powerful. Right now, everybody I know, <laughs> most people I know inside the bureaucracy, um, they're scared. They're wary. Um, they're concerned about what Trump means for them. Four or five months from now, the laws of nature take over. Things normalize. They realize that they're still the bureaucracy. They're still career appointees, mm -hmm. and they're uh, an important yeah, PowerPoint. And just to jump in, Howard, I mean, you know, I was lucky enough to do this in year two of the Obama administration uh, as a White House liaison, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, once things settle down in the first couple of weeks, and, you know, I went in year year two, and, you know, everyone's making a big deal about all these political slots not being filled and these committees aren't being filled. I mean, it takes a long time to really get these undersecretaries filled, because remember, a lot of these positions have to be confirmed by the by the, by the Senate. So it's going to take some time. I, and I think you're right. I mean, the bureaucracy is going to be key. And remember one thing for these agencies that change a lot of these regulations and, and how you probably know this just as well as anyone. You know, they have to go through a little process through the OMB, which everyone knows that is like moving mountains. So I think a lot of this can't be changed with a stroke of a pen. I mean, there's going to be people that are going to be filling these slots that are very dedicated uh, in their craft, um, whether you agree with them politically or not. Um, there's going to be things that are be changed, but it's going to be a process that's going, to, that's going to take some time. And I think using that process, not everything happens in the West Wing. And even if things want to happen in the West Wing, there's so many things that have to go yeah. into getting a change that it's it's to your point, the process still matters, yeah. no matter who the president is, because you can't control something yeah. of this magnitude uh, at every Most level. Most things don't happen in the West Wing, I would even Absolutely. say. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the other thing, guys, is I think people are over um, stating the extent to which Donald Trump is a Republican. He's he's a Democrat. He's an independent. He's whatever he is on any given issue. He's not an ideologue. That's for darn sure. And um, he has very little in common with Mitch McConnell. He has more in common with Paul Ryan, perhaps, um, though not a lot of the House Republicans who themselves don't have much in common with their speaker. Um, uh, the point is, it's not all one Republican party. Um, and so I, I think um, you, you have to you cannot fall into the trap of thinking about Washington as being dominated by the Republicans because it's not all one Republican Party. And and along those same lines, you know, Trump has more in common with Chuck Schumer than he does with Mitch McConnell. He's going to be more comfortable sitting down with a conversation uh, for a conversation with Chuck than he is with Mitch. And um, it doesn't mean that. Um, he won't have good engagement with the Senate Republicans, but um, that's just they're two guys from from New York City. Um, and, and the Senate Democrats are going to be a powerful force and Trump is going to work with them. So don't don't underestimate 
the power of the Senate Democrats along the lines of what I was just saying. Well, Kevin, you may want to yeah. jump in on the on the Democratic point since you know, no, you know I, these I, guys. No, no, I think that's right, and I think um, you know it's, it's probably one of the few checks that uh, you know the 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 that we're going to have um, on the administration. And, but I think it's interesting. You're already seeing it just on the TPP, a lot of some of the senators that were, were are, are pro this, they're coming out and saying, Hey, we're, 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 we're supportive of what the president is doing. So I'm actually curious to see how that actually plays with whether Trump thinks, well, he came out and did a press supporting this. I wonder if I can make a deal with him. Cause I think in the end, to your point, it's all, yeah. it's all deals. I mean, his whole career is about deals. Yeah, transactional. And, and, it's, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head on, on those points. Um, and then don't overestimate his willingness to buck the House Republicans. I, I think there are plenty of issues on which he's not going to play to the not a conservative. I mean, I think every time I turn on CNN and hear people talking about him like he's a conservative, I, I laugh. It's it's absurd. He's not a conservative. He may be mixing in some conservative um, points or, or or appointments, but he's not he's not. He is not a conservative, um, and and he'll buck the House Republicans where he needs to. I think really, really importantly, and this is something, again, I think the press, I think the, the D's, I think a lot of people need to to really think hard about is not trying to out-Trump Trump. I think um, we talked about this last week with the whole John Lewis mm-hmm. thing, Congressman Lewis, I think. You know, um, if you try to out Trump, Trump, if you try to play his game, he's going to win. He's better at it. He's been doing it his whole life. He may be many things, um, but he's a master of uh, manipulation, and you're not going to beat him trying to uh, take him on that way. So I think if you need to take on the administration, don't do the full frontal assault. Take them from their flank. Um, you have to be crafty. You have to use the process. You've got to really look. I think there are many traditionally quote left ideas um, where you're going to be able to work with the administration. Where you have to take them on, just be very very strategic about it because if you try to get in their faces, you're going to lose. Um, engage which is kind of the thesis for this whole thing. Yeah. No, I th- actually, I think, I think every, everything on the list is very good, but this is the one that kind of hit me the most, just because I think you're right. I think especially people that maybe on the left or, or progressive or maybe, or maybe right of center that just don't like his style. Um, you just can't be afraid to engage. And I right. think, I think if you are psyched out right out of the gates, you're not going to be doing yourself a, a disservice. I mean, not to digress, but, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of former colleagues of mine, both on the campaign and in government, who said, I just can't watch the speech. I just can't, I can't, I can't stomach it. Well, the, fa- the facts are there'll be a time to protest, but I think any smart business person or any smart policymaker is going to want to figure out the best angle to get what they want. Well, th- the best way to get what you want is to figure out strategically and how to do it. And I think to your point, in, that way is an engagement strategy as much as opposed to like going toe to toe. And there'll be some things you have to, but I think the engagement piece is something that I think progressives especially or people that may be on the other side of the aisle, they're not going to be able to stomach it, but, but to be pragmatic about it, it's the best way to do it and play to the ego and not play to the the combative nature of uh, the president or his team. Trump is going to be more approachable 
and more willing to do deals than President Obama. You know, President Obama, we talked about this last week, history is going to, I think, reflect well on on his tenure, particularly given the backdrop with which um, in which he he had to do his job. Um, But but he wasn't that approachable on a personal level. He didn't reach out, um, certainly not across the aisle and even on his side of the aisle, the way that um, a Bill Clinton did, Blake um, um, or Ronald Reagan did. Um, obviously, famously with with Tip O'Neill, um, and but Trump is going to be more of that kind of guy. I think he's going to be more approachable, and he's certainly more transactional. I mean, his whole his whole career is about his whole life is about um, transaction. So um, there's business to be done with with this administration, and I would just repeat something I said earlier, which is rule number eleven. You know, don't overlearn the lessons of the election. Don't place too much stock in what you're seeing in the early days. Yes, rhetorically, it's important, but we're going to see, hopefully, once um, these guys get their footing, um, I think a different kind of administration emerge than we've seen in the past, one that is kind of postpartisan in a sense, cuts along um, different lines ideologically. And, you know, the last point is, this is just more of a personal reflection than anything. Uh, They're going to be tested. They're going to be tested by some crisis that's sitting here today we can't anticipate. And hopefully, um, hopefully, They'll have some time to get their footing before they're tested by that crisis. Um, But it's not the only thing that matters, but it matters a lot how they deal with whatever that crisis, those crises are. Um, And whether you were for him or against him, whether you love him or you hate him, we need him to be able to, that's why the engagement's so important. You, You need to get that diversity of perspectives. You can't assume that they're just against you on everything because having those different perspectives when that crisis hits is what probably makes or breaks their success in dealing with it at the end of the day. Well, and we're beginning to see two um, real opportunities to engage from a business perspective. Um, President Trump has named his the new chairman to the FCC, who is um, opposed to net neutrality. And so, that is going to be a huge business issue that is going to, to um, you know, to affect a wide range of industry. And we're now beginning to see movement at the FCC. So you've got an opportunity to begin thinking about that strategic engagement. The Democrats have put out a $1 trillion infrastructure plan. By no means will it be considered on the whole, but it is a beginning of a discussion about how to go about uh, repairing the nation's infrastructure. Trump has some very unique and different ideas, including privatizing transportation projects and finding ways to make them each turn a profit, which is something Republicans like, Democrats really don't. But Trump's looking at it from an investor Mm -hmm. lens, which we have never had someone look at infrastructure development from that way. 
so whether you want to drill down and get into something very specific, um, like transportation, roadway transportation, toll development, um, bridge repair, um, there's a real interesting conversation starting to take place in Washington. And I think we've seen the Democrats put forward ideas, I think in part to, to, to bring Trump into the discussion, to not let him get, get pulled away on other issues. They want infrastructure to get done. I think to, to both of your points, we, um, we think that's something that can get done. Does it get done absent a concession, for example, say to a Paul Ryan tax reform plan? Who knows? But that's going to draw in a Republican issue that's going to compel. They're going to be. They're going to be. They're going to be relationships to all this stuff, and there is a real opportunity, yeah. I think, now for business who cares about this stuff to develop some eyes and ears on the Hill yeah. um, and some eyes and ears in the administration, yeah. um, because these conversations are taking place, even if they're not driving the kind of headlines that is executive orders are driving and that mm-hmm. all this other what we might call political noise yeah. um, is driving. No, I think I think the infrastructure point is 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 probably the best one. You think about it, um back in two thousand nine with the stimulus, a lot of Democrats argued that the stimulus was too small and they wanted more money to go in for infrastructure. So now we're at the point where, you know, we have a president that really believes in infrastructure who's you know, let's be honest, he's been a builder of things for the last forty years. And I think how that all gets played out is actually a real opportunity for the president, just from a practical point of view, to see where he could take the country. Take away the tweets, take away the bravados, take away the protesting from the from the left. I mean, this is something very real that um, he can get done. And quite frankly, something the Democrats have been saying for a long time that they want more of. So it'll be interesting to see if if, if the president could triangulate with the Democrats and work to your point with, with Paul Ryan to come up with some things. By the way, people want consensus, right? Every family you have to negotiate. Every business you have to you have to come to some type of consensus. Well, in government, we're I think it's a lost start. So, can they come up with some kind of consensus? Something for them? Something for for the other side? And if they can get something done, and hopefully, if if some infrastructure gets done, we can get new bathrooms at Penn Station and 30th Street. <laughs> yeah, we'd all be a lot happier. Uh, but I think it's I think it's a real opportunity to the test the president's and the president's team's political skill. And, you know, if, if they could just tone it down for a couple months, I'd be fascinated to see if that's something they can do, because I think it's a real opportunity. You go to any big city mayor in the country, they want infrastructure. Go to every governor, they want more money for infrastructure. Go to any township, they need water treatment facilities. So, I mean, this is something that the country, be, you know, needs badly. And could this guy get it done? It's going to be a test of his skill. And I think if he's smart, um, They'll figure out how to do it. They well, need to get it done yeah. because it's their jobs program. Right. This is Bannon driving this. Right. Um, this is look. The economy is yes. There's underemployment. Yes, there are people out of the workforce, but we're very near what um, uh, and wages are finally moving. We're very near what I think a lot of economists would deem. Um, uh, you know, very, very healthy employment, almost to the point of um, full employment. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people would um, react negatively to that, the statement I just made. But again, from an economist point of view, a 4.7% unemployment rate is is very healthy. Um, so these guys need to find a way to create more jobs. That's 
They need right. this. Right. Right. And and look, industry is going to play a role in in shaping that. And I think if you're if if you are in the business of growing your business, um, you know, there is there is going to be stimulus is such a yeah, it's such an out of favor term, but there is going to be an infusion of some kind um, into the American economy. And I think, Kevin, you noted this earlier. I mean, him sitting down with with business executives um, and talking about, you know, scaling back 75 percent of the regulations so that they keep they keep jobs at home is is perhaps the first foray of a deal. Do I'll do my part. You do your part. And oh, by the way, let's go build some stuff together. Um, and create more jobs. So you can see, as Howard said, you know, multiple times during this call, a transaction beginning beginning to take place and then bringing organized labor in um, and who is certainly uh, on the president's side of TPP and, and on the president's side as it pertains to NAFTA. Um, so you can kind of begin to see some of this art of the deal come together. But I'm, I'm, I, think, I think this infrastructure piece and, and it, to the point of it is it is politically potent because it is the job creations mechanism. There's a story front page of the New York Times today that, in essence, they are even in agreement inside the Trump White House that this is all about jobs. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is all about jobs. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. Well, guys, look, I think we have had um, we we have had an interesting first handful of days to to this administration. A lot going on. A lot to talk about. Um, Howard, great piece, uh, 11 Rules of the Road. Um, we'll blast that out to everybody who um, participated in the call today. As always, uh, comments and questions are, are welcome. Presidential analysis at COSA.com. Kevin, great to have you well, uh, on the call today, and certainly great to have you at, at, at COSA and O'Connor Public I think, Strategy. I, I think Mark should get stuck on uh, icy <laughs> planes in Albany Mark, more often. Right. Mark is Mark is – uh, Mark has not going to gone to join the Trump administration, yeah. like our colleague Jim Schultz, who we should also recognize. That was made public over the over the weekend. Jim has participated in these calls before and led our uh, state uh, regulatory practice here. Is now associate White House counsel and special assistant to the president. Uh, Mark is in Albany, yeah. um, which I'm told is in New York, yeah. um, <laughs> and uh, that has something to do with ice or maybe ice is. Uh, is a uh, is is an explanation yeah. of uh, of something else. Maybe. Mark was uh, visiting our Albany, ice in it. Yeah. visiting our Albany office. So yeah, so yep. hope he gets home safe. Uh, tough weather out there, uh, certainly. But um, thanks to everybody who called in. We'll uh, get information out about our next call, and certainly uh, never a dull moment uh, in the new administration of President Donald Trump. Thanks again. Thanks, Blake. Thanks, Blake.